I am Joe Collins, and we are glad that you are here with us today, worshiping. Last week, we were in our series entitled Jeremiah, the branch of an olive tree, and we talked about being careful what you ask for. Today, we're going to take a break from our series on Jeremiah, and we're going to talk about fatherhood. And if I haven't said it, I think I did, but if I haven't, happy Father's Day. I want to say that to all the dads here in the audience. Good people, you deserve a round of applause and a, and a day in your honor today. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if you are, Father's Day for me is a time where I hope everybody goes away and I can be home alone. That's what it is for me. You may be different, but that's an ideal. I don't need, I don't need anything. I don't need dinner. I, I just, just want a day where I can just relax and uh, if decide to watch the U.S. Open, I might. If I fall asleep during watching the U.S. Open, I might. But I just want to be able to do what I like to do on Father's Day, which is to sort of rest and be alone. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, being a father is not really about doing what you want. In fact, one of the best definitions I can think of in, in my world uh, that I've just came up for myself in terms of being a father is that a father, a dad, he does the things that no one else is willing to do. And I think that's an important role that dads play in the world and in the life of their, uh, of their, in their households and in their families is we're the guys that step up when no one else does and take care of the things that no one else wants to take care of. I really believe that being a father, and, and you're really I'm speaking to men in general, like being a mom or a woman is a sacred responsibility. It's a blessing from God. And so today, I'm going to look at five short verses about that, that are related to the idea of the responsibility of, uh, of fatherhood. Now, it's not my normal style of preaching. I prefer expository preaching. I like to take a passage and break it down and get into the text and understand it in its, its, you know, in its complexities and try to communicate that as best as I can. And I like to do that, you know, throughout an entire book or a specific subject or a character of the Bible. That's my favorite style of, of learning and of preaching. But today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do a topical study in our lesson today. That means we're going to take the idea of fatherhood. And we're just going to look at various verses all over the Bible and, and see what they say in relation to that topic. So if you're with me on that, the first verse I want to look at is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. We're going to pray before we read God's Word. Father, it really is uh, amazing to know that you are our Heavenly Father, that you are the perfect Father, that... Uh, as, as no matter what we try to be as dads, we'll never be what you are. Yet you want us to be like you. You call us to be like you. You want us to keep growing and being better. And I pray that today we will we'll learn just a handful of things today about what you say about the, the idea of being a father or of a man or just the, the role that we need to, the shoes we need to fill and the role we need to live up to. I pray that you'll encourage us, inspire us, Give us some extra motivation today to want to see that 
in our lives. Thank you for the wives and the women in our lives, for the children in our lives who trust us and uh, look to us for leadership and and uh, fatherly direction. And I pray, God, that today we will take a step closer to you in trying to imitate and be more like you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's Dad's Day, and right out of the gate, bam, we get a hard lesson, a strong teaching out of the Bible. It's because it's, got, it's really an appropriate passage to be communicating to you on Father's Day. Men need to be challenged. And so we start off right off the bat with a challenge. Now, to give you a little context, the letters that we call First and Second Timothy, there's actually two of them, were written to a guy named Timothy by a guy named Paul. You may know him as the Apostle Paul. Timothy was his protege. And Paul wrote letters to him, helping him in his journey of becoming a leader, a man of faith in the church. In this particular case, Timothy happens to be in the amazing city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey today. And it was a big church gathering of, of, of believers in Christ that Paul originally uh, was a part of, but then moved on and left Timothy behind to shepherd. And so he wrote First and Second Timothy to encourage Timothy in his progress of becoming a father figure to that church in Ephesus. Now it's true in this teaching that anyone who does not provide for their relatives is worse than an unbeliever. That, that teaching applies to all of us, whether you're a man, woman, mother, father, aunt, uncle, whatever. As a believer in Jesus, we are called by God to provide for our families, to, to contribute to the well-being of our households. Even the world outside of the church believes in the idea of benefiting the, the family, of taking care of the, the family. But in this case, <coughs> the passage really is pointed at particularly the men in the church and maybe even more so the fathers. We know that because in the second letter, 2 Timothy, Paul actually tells Timothy, take these instructions and pass them on to reliable men, many of whom were fathers, in the church at Ephesus and help them learn what I'm trying to help you to learn. And in this particular case, the message that Paul wanted Timothy to know and to pass on to reliable men in the church in Ephesus is that it is their responsibility, it is their duty, it is their obligation to care for their households, for their relatives. That's one of the things dads do. We provide for our families. Now, I don't know if you are in the career that you want to be in right now. I don't know if you're unemployed. It's not really what this is about. He's not really saying, man, you don't have a job right now. You're in between jobs. You're a derelict. You're worse than unbeliever. That's not really the point here. He's talking more about a condition of your heart, a mindset that you might have towards your family. We all go through life changes. I've been through different jobs in my life. Many of you had had job transitions. Some have had layoffs for a period of time. 
When you're in those period of times, Paul is not saying, man, you're a derelict, you're, not an, unbel- you're an unbeliever just because you got laid off or you're in the process of trying to upgrade your job. That's not at all the, the intent here. He's really talking about the heart. The spirit you have as a man, as a leader of a household, as a father towards your family. And primarily, it needs to be, you need to be there to provide for them. More importantly, he's not even only talking about physical substance. He's not talking about paying the bills and putting food on the table. He's actually talking about creating a very healthy and safe environment for the intellectual, emotional, physical, and spiritual growth of the household. And so as dads, our responsibility goes beyond just paying bills and putting food on the table. It actually involves shepherding our families. You know, there are a few things that are as important as the influence of a father. It's a big responsibility. And rather than shrink back from it, God calls us to embrace it. 2 Corinthians chapter two, uh, chapter 3. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You, should, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The letter that we call 2 Corinthians was actually like Timothy, a pair of letters. There was a 1 Corinthians and a 2 Corinthians. And like Timothy, Paul was the author of these two letters as well. However, they were written to the church in Corinth. A few weeks back, we did a little mini-series on the church in Corinth, and we looked at the first, the letter, 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul wrote to the church. And we learned in that letter that the church in Corinth was in complete shambles. There was divisions, there was sin, there was conflict, and the church itself was on shaky ground. It wasn't doing well. It wasn't a healthy environment. And so in Paul's letter, he wrote a lot of instruction on how to right the ship, on what they need to be doing and focusing on in order to make the church a healthy church. And the good news is that shortly after receiving that letter from Paul, the church repented. And so Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to congratulate them, to encourage them, to thank them for their repentance. And he makes this statement. He says, you are our letter. You know, the example that the church set in their repentance was an example to all the churches in the first century. When other churches went through difficult times, they could refer to what happened in Corinth, and they could see the changes they made, the repentance that they went through, and they said, wow, there's the roadmap. Let's copy that. You know, as dads, there are people watching you 24 hours a day. They're called children. Some are little, and they're in recording mode. Some get older, and the recording mode is still running, but then there's also the feedback mode that kicks in. And then they get older, and somehow the volume on the feedback gets louder. The recording is still going on, though. The example you set, Dad, is the letter of your faith 
to your children. Words are important. What you say is important, but what you do needs to match with what you say to your, to your family, to your children. I'm so grateful to be a part of this family here in Simi Church because I know just about everybody in the room personally. My wife and I, we've been friends, some of us, for many years. Others, we've known each other more recently. And I can say with confidence that even though you're not perfect, I'm not perfect, but even though you're not perfect, you are really a letter of faith to the world around you. I can say that with confidence. I've seen the challenges. I've, I've been in the room during the prayers and the requests, and I've seen the changes and the repentance and the faith in every any number of scenarios. And with confidence, I can say that you are truly a letter of faith to your households. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, the, the book we call Deuteronomy comes from what we call the Old Testament. It's ancient writings of the Jewish tradition. It's the first part of what we call the Christian Bible, the Old Testament, and then we've added, as Christians, the New Testament. Some of this writing in Deuteronomy dates back 3,500 years ago, yet it is still relevant today. In this particular passage, God is telling Israel, the nation of Israel, His chosen people, more specifically, he's talking to the heads of the households, dads. And he's telling them to bind the teachings of God on their heart with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and to impress these upon their children. Have you ever been to a person's home who is Jewish and on the doorframe, there's an emblem nailed to the door from. Have you ever seen that? It's actually a, a little symbol of the, the Torah, the scroll, what they call the commandments. That is a direct uh, application of this passage. They, many religious or believing Jews will, will nail a little emblem on their doorframe to remind them that this house is a house where the law of God is held in esteem. I remember as a young kid, I had a friend Jeff, he was Jewish, and, and I never knew what it was. I always saw it there and wondered what it was, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized, oh, that's, that's what that is. It's an expression of their faith in God and of their belief in God's teaching. Have you ever seen maybe a more orthodox Jewish person wearing a box tied to their forehead? I've seen this, or sometimes tied to their hand. Maybe you haven't seen that. Maybe that sounds strange. But again, it's a direct application of this passage. Inside that little box is a tiny scroll of the law. On their hand, inside that box, is a tiny scroll of the law. They're taking this passage and applying it in a very direct 
literal way. And I appreciate that. I admire that kind of faith. However, and I'm not saying this to be negative, but really the point is not to do the literal act of tying the box to your head or hand. That's, that's not really what's in view here. The point is what? It's to impress the law, the teachings that are in that box on your family, on your children, on your household. And that doesn't need to be done by an emblem on your door frame or a box on your hand or on your head. You might choose to do that, and I would not have a problem. Your, your boss might think it's strange. That may be one way in which you express your faith. But there's a whole world of ways in which we as dads, as men, as household heads, can impress our faith onto our children. We get some insight here. It says, talk about it when you wake up in your morning routine. Talk about God. Talk about spiritual things. On your way to work, that's along the road. In the car, spend some time in prayer. Have spiritual talk. And in the evening when the kids come home, great opportunity to talk about your faith. What are you currently doing as a father, the head of a household, to communicate your faith to your children, to your family, to your household? I know in our household, one of the things we did regularly was pray whenever we got in the car with the kids to go somewhere. That was just one habit that we developed almost, almost all the time. We get in the car and there was always a prayer when we were traveling somewhere. That's just one way in which our faith became sort of a normal part of our life. What, what about you? What do you do? Have you had something that you've been doing and you've stopped doing it? Is there an idea that you thought about, but you thought, well, I don't know if I can do that. Maybe you should start doing. But I want to encourage all the dads and remind you all that what you do on a daily basis is not empty time. It's, it's, it's teach time. It's, it's learning time. It's, it's opportunity to communicate your faith to your children. Remember, the goal is not to show your faith it's to impress it. It's to pass it on from one generation to the other. I know it's Father's Day, but i got to talk about my wife for a second because she's a great example of this in our home. She has absolutely impressed her faith into our family, into our children, sometimes on me. But she impresses her faith on us by who she is, by how she lives. She's incredibly serving, as you know. She's very godly. She's very patient. She's very loving. I could go on and on and on. But what she is doing is using her opportunities to impress her faith into our children. I want to encourage you as dads to follow the example of Deuteronomy. Impress your faith on your children. Two more verses, and then we're going to close out with some sharing from a couple of brothers. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now all the dads went, yes! 
You know, sometimes you read the Bible, and Proverbs is an ancient book also. It comes from the ancient Jewish tradition. It's ancient teaching from their tradition. Yet again, it's incredibly relevant. And this passage teaches that discipline is absolutely part and parcel of what a loving father does with his children. As a matter of fact, if you, if you reject discipline, if you decide discipline is a bad thing, biblically speaking, you don't love your children. That can sound harsh. We can, we can see words like the rod and think, oh my gosh, they were violent and abusive. But really, we're looking for the wisdom in the passage. And the wisdom is that all children need discipline. It is the loving thing to do to discipline your child when they need it. We're not talking about angry outbursts, uncontrolled emotions. The discipline that God is talking about here is found in that last few words, careful to discipline them. It's interesting how we see the word rod and we don't see the word careful. But God is teaching us here very clearly that a good father is careful when he disciplines his children. Again, it's not out of anger. It's not emotional outbursts. It's not uncontrolled. And it's always for the benefit of the child. Now that is good, godly, healthy discipline when it can be done carefully. Sometimes, as you know as a dad, discipline occurs after a mistake, an error. Your child does something, runs into the street without looking. That's a good time for some good, godly discipline. It's kind of after the fact. But I think we forget that Proverbs is more proactive than that. It's not you're the dad and you stand around waiting for your kid to mess up so you can discipline them. It's you're the dad, and yeah, sometimes that happens, but really it's proactive. It's on the front end that you're teaching and training and disciplining your children. It's not always punitive. Sometimes discipline is self-control. Sometimes discipline is instruction. Sometimes it's guidance. Sometimes it's allowing kids to try what they need to try to learn that it's not a good idea. How many of us, as kids, had some cockamamie idea that rolling down a hill on our bike, that brakes were broken, was a good idea? And sometimes we had to learn when we hit the curb at 30 miles an hour that it's not a good idea. There's room for that in godly discipline. The amazing thing is, is what God is asking us to do as dads is nothing different than what he does to us. Sometimes he disciplines us after we make a mistake and we go, yeah, I made a mistake. I needed that. Sometimes. He allows us to stick our foot in it and get in trouble. And we go, oh, yeah, that was wrong. And other times, the majority of the time, as a matter of fact, he's actually proactively 
trying to guide us, instruct us, and help us in our journey. Again, discipline that is done with thought, intention, is the kind of discipline God calls a godly father to have. Last bit of wisdom. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. You know, as dads, it is our responsibility to train our children. It's not the school's job. It's not the government's job. It's not the village. We hear that phrase a lot, it takes a village. It's actually not the village's job, although the village can be helpful. It's the dad's job. And there's, there's very few substitutes for a dad's involvement in a child's life. You know, when I think about this, this is where I think about some of you out there and the example that you have set for me of being great dads who've carefully and lovingly instructed your children and who are raising your children up, teaching them to go in the way that they should go. And I wholeheartedly believe that when they're older, they'll not depart. Again, how many of us have said, oh yeah, my dad taught me that when I was like five and <laughs> now I understand the wisdom of it. How many of us have learned something from our past that somebody, maybe we didn't have a dad in our life, but we had a, a dad figure or a mentor and they were able to fill in to some degree and they gave some good wisdom and you looked back and you said, oh, now I know what they were talking about. I love hearing from dads because I love learning from other dads what they're working on, what they're learning about being a dad, and what they're teaching their kids. And so as we close out, I've asked three different dads to come up here. They're going to share just a couple minutes each, very brief, what they've learned about being a father and what they're trying to pass on to their children. After that, we'll close out, and we'll have an enjoyable, and you'll be able to uh, head off to your Father Day plans. So first person up that I'd like to call up, Carlos Garcia. As a matter of fact, let's just call them all up right now. After Carlos, Darren Vasquez. And after Darren, we'll call up Mr. Jeremy Hicks. Come on up. Please use this mic because they're recording you, and we'd love to hear your wisdom. Share it with us. Well, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I hope you enjoyed your pancake breakfast. Jim, Anita, my wife, and Kiana, and everybody that helped out. Thank you very much for that. Anyway, some of the things I'm going to share, I'm going to share as a son of... Um, a sharecropper, a bracero farm worker, an illiterate man, a provider, an immigrant. So um, my dad never went to school. He grew up in the Central Highlands of Mexico. There were no schools. As soon as you could pretty much walk, you help your family to provide. You know, you planted corn, beans, and squash, and chilies, of course. And um, you know you provided for the family that way, so you didn't own your own land, 
and um, you paid the landowner through the harvest of the crop. So my dad basically learned to read and write as, as an adult and you know, when he joined the Mexican military. But anyways, happy Father's Day, Gapo. Gapo was the, the nickname that was given to my dad by his cousins. Anyways, yesterday my dad would have been 90 years old. He passed away in December 97 at the age of 68. But one thing that I learned from my dad is sacrifice. That's very important. So my name is Carlos Garcia and I'm Anita's husband, uh, Kiana's dad, and Alex's dad. Uh, my dad was born in the Depression era, right? Uh, June 15, 1929. As I said, he would have been 90 as of yesterday. Uh, he married my mom. She had a better education. She had a second grade education. So, a little bit better. He did well in that way. I have a, a, a scripture to share with you. And this is in Hebrews uh, 13, 15 through 16. You don't have to turn there. You can just make a note of it. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So the definition that I'm anchoring more towards is um, vocabulary.com. Uh, sacrifice, what is that? A sacrifice is a loss or something that you give up, usually for the sake of a better cause. Parents sacrifice time and sleep to take care of their children, while kids might sacrifice TV time to hang out with mom and dad. <laughs> Obviously, no sacrifice could compare to God the Father sending his own son to be born in a manger, to be the son of a carpenter, and putting on hold, living in his heavenly kingdom, and ultimately dying on the cross for, as a sacrifice for our sins. So for my dad, a country bumpkin, you know, I learned that sacrifice is very, very important. So that's why you move away from the hills, you go into a town for better opportunities, and from a town, after you married my mom, my mom, moved to Mexico City. So there were six kids of us, and four out of six of us were born in Mexico City. He didn't know that he had married a Tejana. What's a Tejana? But somebody of Hispanic origin that was born in Texas. My mom was born in Corpus Christi, the same year, uh, southern Texas. And so she was a U.S. citizen, but raised in Mexico. So she didn't want to come to the United States. It was my paternal grandmother's idea. Because she had been here, I guess, in the 40s or whatever, and under the Bracero program with her husband and my dad in Rancho Cucamonga. Must you know, there were fields back then, not a town. And uh, she didn't want to come to the United States, but she was a U.S. citizen. She, she came for better opportunities. And along with my dad, you know, raised six kids. I don't know how they did it, but as a result of their sacrifice, you know, they were able to buy their own home and buy homes and properties in Mexico for all of their six children. So that's, that's pretty amazing. I, I don't think I could do better than what my dad, along with my mom, did for us. But I think that's one of the things that I learned from my dad, is that you have to sacrifice. Not only that, one of the things that my dad would do is that he would save up $1,000 cash, and then he would send it to one of his sisters, he had three, four of them, or to one of his brothers, he had three of them, and we send money to them. And then besides that, my dad and my mom, they actually bought a home in Mexico so that my paternal grandparents could live there, have a home. 
Again, they were sharecroppers, they didn't have a lot, right? Um, my dad sacrificed coming to the United States not knowing how to speak the language, not really learning how to read and write in English, of course. I remember my parents going to ESL classes and that helped. But basically they were both working parents. My mom was a factory worker, my dad was a gardener. At some point he became self-employed. And uh, one of the funny stories I could tell you is that here's my dad taking us to uh, go get french fries. He thought that was a great thing, you know? So he goes up and he says, uh, one potato please. That, that was kind of my dad's English right there. And we did get the french fries, we thought it was cool. We're like, this is awesome, you know, having french fries. Um, another little funny story I can tell you about my dad was that he went to a supermarket and uh, he wanted to buy us apple cider. But instead he came back home with vinegar. So we, we had a cup of it and we tasted like, whoa, what is this? It's actually not, not very good. But he, he wanted to buy apple cider, but instead, by mistake, bought vinegar, which is something he would use to make salsa. My dad was also a cook. And he actually was a specialty cook of the family. So anything on four feet, he could cook. He was a country boy, remember? So a cow, a pig, a chicken, seafood, anything, he, he could cook. So we were having a big family get-together. It was my dad that was doing most of the cooking. So basically, that's the dad that I had. You know, that's what I learned from my dad. And um, for us, we can learn about the best gifts that our earthly fathers have taught us. And we can even more so cherish the greatest sacrifice of God the Father, allowing his son to be a sacrifice for us by nailing our sins to the cross. Thank you. Good morning. Joe said I could say as much as I want as long as it fit on an index card. So. My name is Darren, and uh, I am a son, I am a brother, I am a husband, and I'm a dad. Yeah. And I've got, uh, my wife and I have three boys, as you can see up there. I've got Ian, who's just turned 19 a couple months ago. And uh, he's currently going to Moore Park College, will be done next year. And uh, he uh, just got baptized earlier this year, so that's exciting. <laughs> And then I've got another son, his name is Cole, and he is a, he's 15, he's a semi-professional Fortnite gamer, <laughs> and so he's uh, currently studying the Bible, so we're excited for him right now to do that. And then I've got my 12-year-old son, Bodie, who uh, is going into seventh grade, and uh, we're excited, he just finished up uh, taking algebra and geometry, wow. and uh, one of the things that he recently did recently was... Uh, he had a, a streak of reading the Bible in this app for 126 days. Now, it just lapsed. He's got to restart it, so he's a little bummed about that. But he did a great job in, in getting that far. So, uh, But I definitely love being a dad. It's really exciting for me. You get all kinds of interesting conversations. And uh, it wasn't until recently that I was sitting in our couch in our front room and talking with Ian. And he makes this comment. So, Dad, 
you're no longer my father. And I'm all, what the heck? What are you talking about? I know exactly what I did to get you here. But, but I'm all, well, what do you mean by that? And he's all, well, there's that scripture in Matthew. And it's uh, Matthew 23, 9. It says, and do not call anyone on earth father. For you have one father, and he is in heaven. And I'm so, okay, great, I got it. So what are you going to call me? He said, I'll call you dad. I said, all right. So anyway, Joe asked us here to kind of talk a little bit about one of the lessons that we've learned from fatherhood. And I do have one that kind of stands out to me, and that was in uh, James chapter 1, 19. And it says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And you see, this kind of reminds me of a story back when I was in high school. And I had a situation that came up with my dad. And what had happened was I was taking this introductory welding class. And I was brand new to it. And the way the class worked is that you had, by the end of the year, or by the end of that class, you had to finish 10 welding projects, and then you also had some welding, or some book work that you had to do. I said, okay, that's fine. Well, halfway through that class, they give progress reports. And at that time, we had one guy who had his own welding unit at home who was blowing the class away. He was finished with pretty much all his projects, and then he was just about done with the class, halfway through, where the rest of the class, like 90% of us, are sitting there, wait a second, we're not doing really well. We have, all, we have a whole lot of time to finish out all our projects. We'd only done maybe two or three projects at that time. So what that means is that we were getting progress notes. <laughs> so I had to come home, show my dad, look, I'm getting an F right now. And he did not understand it. I tried to explain it to him multiple times. All I know, he's, he's very angry, upset, and he's all, all I understand is that you're getting an F. And I was just sitting there crushed. I had been crying, I had been all kinds of, like, pleading with him. Listen, you gotta understand, it's not as bad as you think. Well, anyway, it kind of reminds me about, you know, when you try and explain things like that, it's, it's, it's not always gonna work. But for me, I learned from that lesson that I need to have that same type of patience with my kids, with my boys. When they do something, my first instinct is really to get upset and angry. And some of you may not see that, but yeah, I do. <laughs> I do get angry, believe it or not. So, so it takes something for me to kind of calm down and really try and figure out what's going on. And a lot of times I'll find out there's really a, a good story behind what had happened. But I have to take that time and listen. I have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And so that's, that's am I perfect at that? No. But it is something that I, I want to pass on to my, my family, to my kids, and press that upon them, that they can be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So what, helped, what happened with that welding class? Well, I did come home with that report card. And I did show it to my dad. And I said, I got an A. <laughs> so, 
at the very end of it all, I ended up getting not just an A, I got the highest grade in the class. I beat Joe Welder by one point. <laughs> one point because of the book. You beat I did. So anyway, have a blessed Father's Day for you guys all. Thank you so much. I'm Jeremy Hicks. That is my family. I know it looks like I'm photoshopped in there, but that is, that is us. Um, and I actually brought a whole book up here to share, so I'll be a while. Um, actually, I woke up this morning to a text message from my dad. I've been thinking about you the last couple of days. What a kind and loving father you are. Always there for the kids. Today's your day. I hope the kids make it great for you. Love you. And uh, it wasn't always that way with my dad. And I really appreciate the way relationships can change and grow over time to become something like this. Um, growing up, I felt like I wasn't good enough, that I always had to be better at school, better around the home, better with my behavior, better with everything. I just felt I wasn't good enough. So to get a text like this, uh, it's really meaningful. Um, I've been learning a lot about being still. And, uh, you know, the Bible talks about that a few different places. And those passages are ones that I usually struggle with. I'll read something like that and I'll go, yeah, but I got to do stuff. I can't just sit there. And so I, um, I've been going through this devotional book. And uh, one of the devotions this week actually addressed that. So I'd like to share it with you um, about being still. And uh, they use... The example in Exodus when uh, Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And in Exodus uh, 14, uh, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And the devotional part of this, I'd like to read. Moses demonstrated godly leadership as Egypt's army was overtaking the Israelites at the Red Sea. However, in their anxiety, the Israelites distorted the past and refused to move forward. They preferred their miserable past to an unknown future with God. Moses courageously stands alone and calls them to be still and to move on. He picks up his staff and takes deliberate steps to move ahead. By remembering the Lord, which is being still, Moses courageously does what is best, moves on. Despite the Israelites' lack of support, he models the delicate balance of being still while at the same time moving on. And in doing so, he transforms not only his own life, but the life of those around him. And then there's a quote from Parker Palmer, who uh, is a Christian author, and he's a founder of the Center for Courage and Renewal. <laughs> That's interesting. Everyone who draws breath takes the lead. Many times a day, we lead with actions that range from a smile to a frown, with words that range from blessings to curses, with decisions that range from faithful to fearful. When I resist thinking of myself as a leader, it is neither because of modesty nor a clear-eyed look on the reality of life. I am responsible for my impact on the world, whether I acknowledge it or not. 
And that really speaks to just the role of being a father, being a man, um, but also being a Christian. We are leading. We lead with our words and our actions. And in the case of my dad, or in a lot of the cases, it doesn't take much, even with Moses, he just had to raise his hand. We can be still and remember that God is present and reflect on what God has done and not distort the past, but we can also move on with just a smile, a word, an action, something very small but meaningful. Everything we do has meaning and it leads in one way or another. And that is uh, something I hope to impart on all of you and of course on my children. Okay, let's go ahead and stand on up. We're going to uh, close out our service in a time of prayer. I want to thank uh, the guys for their sharing. They did a great job, and they're not professional speakers, but...